Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. So good to be with you this morning. Let me just ask you a question. Is anyone excited to worship a God that takes dead things and brings them back to life? Anyone excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that was all right. I don't know. 930 crowd was a lot louder. They were here earlier. Is anyone, church, excited to worship a God that brings dead things back to life? Yes, amen, I am. I don't know about you, but I'm super excited. I'm super excited to celebrate Easter with you. I'm so excited to celebrate Easter with those of you that are worshiping with us online as well. If you're a guest with us today, I just wanna say welcome. My name is Rick. I have the joy and the privilege of being the pastor here at Warehouse Church, and we're so grateful to have all of you with us this morning. Everybody doing okay? We're all doing, you're looking good, like a lot of pinks, and, uh, and, uh, and I don't know what other color that is. What color is that, Craig? Is that tangerine? I don't know, something like that. And uh, it's the only day you'll see me wearing pink, I'm just telling you. And uh, so it's so good to have you with us. We're going to have a great morning today. Did the worship band not do an amazing job in leading us in worship? Uh, they did so good. This is their third round. This is our third service, and they have done such an amazing job. I'm so grateful for them. And, uh, and so before we jump in the message, let's invite the Holy Spirit to just be with us this morning. Can we do that? Father God, I just thank you for Resurrection Sunday. God, I thank you that the tomb was empty. I thank you that I worship a God that does bring dead things back to life. God, that you conquered death, that death couldn't hold you down, the grave couldn't hold you down, the evil one couldn't hold you down. But you came up out of that grave because you loved us. So God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that this morning as we open up your word, God, that you would remove the scales from our eyes, you would unplug our ears, and you would soften our hearts today so that we could see, hear, and know exactly what it is that you have for us. Because, Lord, I do believe with all of my heart that you have a word for every single person in this room today. May we leave here different than when we came because we've experienced you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to ask you a question on this Easter Sunday. Uh, it's a question that, uh, that, that many of us have experienced, but I want to ask it anyway. Have you ever gone somewhere expecting one thing only to experience something totally different. Like, for example, let me just give you some for what ifs. Like, uh, maybe you've, you went to Camden Park expecting to find thrill rides like you would find at Kings Island or Cedar Point only to find carnival rides that have been bolted permanently to the ground. <laughs> ever been there before? Ever gone expecting one thing only to find something totally different? Or maybe, maybe you've been dating this girl for a while and it's time to meet the parents and she has talked and talked and talked about her mom's home cooking and you are so excited, but when you get there, you're served fried chicken out of a bucket you went there expecting one thing only to find something completely different. That's exactly what it was like for the followers of Jesus when they went to the tomb on that first Easter morning. They expected to find Jesus' body, but when they got there, they found something totally different. They never expected that Jesus would come up out of the grave. And we wouldn't either. We wouldn't expect, Je we would expect Jesus to do exactly what dead people do. And that was stay dead. 
And, and, and the text tells us we've been journeying through the gospel of Mark and we started at the beginning of the year and we've been taking a, a, a chunk at a time and today we're coming to the end of our series and, and, and we find in Mark chapter 16 verse 1 that Mark tells the story or begins telling the resurrection story this way. He says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. So Passover has happened, the Sabbath has happened, and, and, and because of the Sabbath began Friday night at sunset and doesn't end until Saturday night at sunset, they couldn't leave. And they couldn't do anything, and so they've been waiting for this moment when Passover was over, when Sabbath was over, where they could go to the tomb and they could mourn the loss of their friend, Jesus. And Mark tells us that they had to stop and buy spices to anoint his body because there hadn't been time to do that earlier. Like, they didn't anticipate this happening. They didn't know this was coming. Everything happened so quickly for them. And, and Jesus was arrested late Thursday night, and by Friday night, he is crucified, dead, and buried. It all just happened so fast. And they believed that Jesus, they believed that he was a teacher from God. There was no doubt in their mind that he was a teacher from God, and they had hoped that he was the Messiah. But clearly, they were wrong because God would never allow his Messiah to be crucified. And so they watched on Friday night. They watched Jesus die on the cross. Then in shock, they followed these two strangers, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, to a tomb that they had never been to before. And they watched these two men place their close friend Jesus in a tomb and roll a stone, closing and sealing the tomb. Their world, their world is spinning out of control. And so they spend the next couple of nights, Friday night and Saturday night, just trying to make sense of it all. I'm sure there wasn't a lot of sleep happening for them on those nights. And once Passover was over, they decide, let's go back to the tomb. Let's, let's bury Jesus properly because it was all done in haste. It was all done so quickly before the sun sets. So they travel to the tomb and Mark goes on in verse two and says, very early on the first day of the week, Sunday was the Jewish first day of the week, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, Who, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Because on Friday, they watched this huge tomb be rolled in front of the entrance of the tomb. And they're asking, who's, who's going to roll it away? Like, like, we don't have the strength to do it. But when they looked up, when they arrived at the tomb, it says they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And so they arrive at the tomb expecting one thing, only to find something vastly different. Luke, another gospel writer who thoroughly investigated every part of the story, says that they went inside the tomb, that the women actually went inside the tomb, and that they found that it was empty. 
And here's the thing that you need to know this morning, that especially, and especially if you used to be a Christian or you used to go to church, and, or perhaps this is the time of the year when you go to church with your family because it's the thing to do, it's Easter, that's what we do. The thing that you need to know is this, that when Jesus' closest followers looked into the tomb, not one of them expected a resurrection. Not one of them went to the tomb expecting it to be found empty. They expected what we all would expect. They expected that someone must have taken the body. That was the only explanation that they could come up with, that they come to the tomb, it's empty, Jesus' body is not there. So someone, whether it be a religious leader, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, or a Roman guard, or someone from the Roman authorities came and stole Jesus' body. And the scriptures tell us that the women... After finding the tomb empty, they immediately ran back to the city to find the disciples who were hiding out in a room behind locked doors. And here's what John says happened next in John chapter 20, verse 2. It says, so she, Mary, came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, and the one Jesus loved said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where They have put him. You see, the women are freaking out. They came to the tomb expecting to find Jesus' body, but his body wasn't there. They assumed someone must have taken it, so they run back to the disciples who are living in in fear behind locked doors in a room, and they tell them someone has taken the body. It's no longer there. They're freaking out, and, and, and Luke says that even the disciples... Even Jesus' closest friends, the inner circle, even they were skeptical. It says in Luke chapter 24, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. They're like, it's crazy. It's ludicrous. What do you mean his body isn't there? I don't believe you. You must be seeing things. Were you sure you were at the right tomb? Like, it's complete nonsense to them that Jesus' body wasn't there. So so here's something that, that you might have in common with Jesus' first century friends. If you believe that Jesus was a real historical person, which most people believe that, and you believe that Jesus was someone who said good things and, and modeled a life that we should imitate, but you think that, you know what, I don't know about the resurrection. That, that seems like nonsense to me. Guess what? You're in good company because Jesus' best friends felt the same way. That's nonsense. How can his body not be there? That's crazy talk. What do you mean his body wasn't there? Because none of them expected a resurrection. Not one of them expected Jesus to overcome death and come out of the grave. They expected what every one of us would have expected. They expected that Jesus would stay dead. But Peter and another one of the disciples, well, they couldn't just sit there. They're like, this is nonsense. This is crazy. I don't believe you. And so they, they listen to these frantic women tell them that the body was gone. And they say, you know what? We need to go see for ourselves. And so Peter and, and John, they get up and they take off. And Luke tells us, Peter, it says in Luke 24, 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. 
and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So Peter and John take off. They run to the tomb, and sure enough, there was no body in the tomb. And Luke tells us that that Peter saw the linen cloths, the burial clothes, laying on the tomb, but there was no body there. And he goes on to say, and he went away. Peter went away wondering what has happened. Peter didn't go away shouting, he has risen, he is alive. He didn't go running into the city telling everyone, you won't believe it, but the Lord has risen, he's alive. The grave couldn't hold him. They didn't, he didn't do that. It says that Peter went away wondering what in the world has happened? Who, who took Jesus' body? Where, where has they taken him? And I think this is one of the most intriguing parts of the resurrection story, that the men and women that were closest to the action and the writers of the New Testament actually document, they write about the unbelief of the very people who would become the leaders of this brand new movement called Christianity. Even the inner circle didn't believe. And they documented their own disbelief. These men and women, listen, they had given up all hope on Friday night. They had no dream. There was no more dream to keep alive. They were disappointed. They were, they were, they were, in, they were a wreck. Because there was no more movement to push forward because Jesus was dead. But there's more. John 20, 19 says, on the evening of that first day of the week, so on that evening of Easter morning, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, you know what they were afraid of? They were afraid that what happened to Jesus would happen to them. That now that Jesus was taken out of the picture, that the Pharisees would come after them and that they would be next to be crucified. So they were with the locked doors for fear of the Jew Jewish leaders. Jesus, everybody say Jesus, Jesus, came and stood among them. They're in a room. The doors are locked. They're huddled in fear going, what are we going to do? Peter's like, I guess I'll go back to fishing. Matthew's like, I don't know if I can get my tax collecting job again. You know, they're all like trying to figure out what do we do? Like, where do we go? We got to leave. Like, people are after us. And Jesus shows up in the room. And here's what Jesus says. He showed up and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. The disciples are living in fear. The evening of the very morning that the tomb is found empty, they are hiding, and Jesus pays them a visit. And they responded the very same way that you and I would respond if someone that you loved, you'd watched crucified and then died and then was buried, showed up in the room with you. You would freak out, right? Like you would just freak out. And Luke chapter 24, well, let me just tell you a funny story about that. So we went, uh, my wife and I, we went to St. Augustine. It's an old, the oldest city in Florida, the oldest town in Florida. And there is just uh, full of amazing things. And, and we did a, uh, an, a tour of St. Augustine in, at night. 
And, uh, and we, um, I got picked because I'm the sucker in the crowd. And any crowd, you know, when you're picked to do things, I'm the one. Because I just have sucker written across my face. And, uh, and I was picked to do some stupid thing. And, and, and my reward for doing that stupid thing and making a fool out of myself was I was given a book on uh, all the happy haunts of St. Augustine. And it turns out that the only bed and breakfast in all of St. Augustine that was haunted was the one that we were, lit, that we were staying in. And my wife will tell you, she did not sleep that night. And that's exactly what was going on in this, scripture, in this passage, in this story. And Luke tells us that the disciples were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt, why do doubts rise in your minds? They're freaking out. And Jesus asked them the question, why are you troubled? Like, why are you afraid? What has happened to your faith? And this isn't the first time that Jesus has had to ask those questions of the disciples. Way back in the beginning of Mark, we read of a passage where the disciples are on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and it's in the middle of the night, and the boat starts to take on water, and it starts, to, and they start drowning, and they're freaking out on the boat. And they wake Jesus up, who happens to be taking a nap in the back of the boat, and they wake him up, and they're like, Jesus, you got to do something. And what does he say? He says the same thing. Why are you afraid? Why are you troubled? Where is your faith? And then Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, and says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. I told you this was going to happen. He says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, you got to understand, that was their scripture back then. That was their Bible, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And throughout those scriptures, it tells of Messiah, and it tells of what's going to happen to Jesus. And so Jesus is like, why, are, why, why don't you get it? He's like, I told you. I told you all about this. Now, weren't you paying attention? Like, where were you when I was talking to you about this? This is what was been foretold in Scripture, and you know, you know these Scriptures. You grew up reading and hearing and listening to these Scriptures, and all I did for the past three years was try and connect the dots. He's like, I told you so. And then he goes on in verse 46 and 7 and says, this is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And that's huge because where were they? In Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, listen, y'all, I've been telling you this for the past three years. It's not my fault that you weren't paying attention. It's not my fault that you didn't listen. It's not my fault that you didn't remember the scriptures from the Old Testament and you didn't connect the dots. I told you this. And then, and then Jesus looks them in the eye and he says something so important that it would ultimately change their lives forever. And here's what he said. He said something that would ultimately result in even us being here today. Like if they didn't hear these next few words, we wouldn't be here today. And here's what he said to them. He said, you are witnesses of these things. He said, you, Matthew, you, Peter, you, Thaddeus, you, Mary, you 
are witnesses to these things. And they were. They were witnesses to the event that changed the world forever. They were eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus being in the room with them in living color. They were witnesses to the event that launched the church. They were witnesses to the resurrection. And here's what happened next. They went and they told the world. And this is so big. This is huge because the resurrection of Jesus created Christianity and also launched the church. It launched the church. Before the resurrection, there were no Christians. After Jesus was crucified, there were no believers. After he was crucified, everybody gave up hope, ran away, hid in a room, locked the doors, terrified and scared, wondering what was next and why. Because they all expected Jesus to stay dead. But the resurrection changed everything. The empty tomb changed everything. And if you're new to church, you need to know this about us, that the reason we believe Jesus rose from the dead is because of their testimony, because of their eyewitness account. We don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells us so. We believe Jesus rose from the dead because eyewitnesses told us so. We believe because Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew, was an eyewitness to the resurrection and who documented his experiences with Jesus. We believe because Mark spent time with Peter and got Peter's account and he believed that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe because Luke came along later and thoroughly investigated the events and talked to many, many eyewitnesses who not only saw that the tomb was empty, but touched and saw and heard Jesus after the resurrection. And he investigated these events and, and he talked to everyone, as, as many people as possible, and he put together an account. We believe because John, who was an eyewitness of the resurrection, put together an account of Jesus. We believe because Peter believed Jesus rose from the dead and later on he wrote two letters to the churches to tell them as much. We believe because James, the brother of Jesus, shows up late in the story but details his, that, his, that his brother is Lord. And think about that. That's a big deal because who in the world would declare that their brother is Lord but James declares that Jesus, his brother, is Lord. We don't believe because the Bible tells us so. We believe because exactly what Jesus told these men to do in the room they did he said you will be my witnesses he said you will be my witnesses and your witness to this event will be enough to take this message to every nation in the world beginning with jerusalem and from that day the message of the resurrection has been spread from country to country from village to village from tribe to tribe and here we are today 2,000 years later celebrating that the tomb was empty. So they documented these events. They copied them down. They distributed them across the world. And it's why we're here today. And it's why we say that the foundation of the Christian faith is an event. And the event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The foundation of the Christian church is not a book. The foundation of the Christian faith is an event. And it's not just any event. It's an extraordinary event with profound implications for your life and for mine. 
And so as we wrap up, I just want to share with you three of those implications today of why the resurrection is so important. Like there are so many more, but I want to share with you these three. It's important, the implication, the resurrection is important because it's how we know that heaven is real. It's how we know that heaven is real. The world is not all there is. Like this world is not all there is. There's way more in store for us, for those of us who believe. Jesus reminds us that through his resurrection, that through his resurrection, that there's a place for every believer, an inheritance that will last forever. So because of the resurrection, we know that heaven is real. Peter, and I love this about Peter. Peter was the guy who believed and then he unbelieved, then he denied that he ever believed, and then he re-believed. That's Peter. Let me get, catch up with me. Peter, who believed. So on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus called him to follow him, and Peter said, you are the Messiah, and he believed in Jesus. And then on Friday night when Jesus was crucified, Peter unbelieved. He's like, I don't know. I, maybe I was wrong. I don't know. I, I told Jesus I would, never, I would never deny him, but here I am. I don't know if I believe. And then he denied that he ever believed that same night to a middle school girl by a campfire. He said, I don't know this Jesus. Who are you talking about? And then after the resurrection, guess what? Peter re-believed. He's like, whoo, I was wrong. You are the Messiah. And he gives his life to Jesus. So that Peter he wrote these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. He wrote this. He said, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, guess what? He's caused us to be born again with a living hope through, ready? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. So Peter says, listen, I get it now, church. You don't miss this. I get this, that we can have hope and we can have peace and we can have mercy. But the only way that we get that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who rose from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we now have this inheritance. And this inheritance is kept for us in heaven. You see, Peter believed in heaven, not because of something that he learned as a kid, but it's because of something he saw as an adult, because his resurrected friend Jesus talked about heaven a lot. And so because of the resurrection, we know that heaven is real. But not only do we know that heaven is real, because of the resurrection, we know that we are loved by God. Like, I don't know what you came in here thinking this morning, but I want you to know that no matter what, no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've become, no matter what, you are loved by God. Listen, the point of the crucifixion of Jesus isn't just heaven. It's that we know that we can be forgiven, that we know that we can have a right standing with God because Jesus forgave sin and punctuated that by rising from the dead on the third day. Just think about that for a minute. The same God that breathed the galaxies into existence loves you. The same God that said earth and bang, there it was, loves you. The same God that created everything that is around you loves you. And not just you as in humankind, but he loves you by name. He loves you 
personally. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on your head. He loves you personally. And because of the resurrection, we know that to be true. That forgiveness, we know that forgiveness is available to you and that you are loved by God. And now that you know that you're loved by God and forgiven by God, you are free to love and to forgive others, to love as he loved and to forgive as he forgave. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, he says, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God, to God in Christ Jesus. It's how we know that we are loved. So church, I hope that you know that because of the empty tomb, you can know and count on the fact that you are loved by God. And finally, it's how we know that we have hope. It's how we know that we have hope. Paul prayed these words to the church in Ephesus. He said, I pray, oh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above the rule and authority, power and dominion over every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And so what Paul says to the church at Ephesus as he says, listen, church, because of our resurrected Savior, you can have hope. Because here's the deal. Here's what he says. He says, here's the deal. Check it out. He says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to those of us who believe. And we've talked about this. We said that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. That what was in God gave to Jesus, Jesus gave to us. And so because we have that resurrection power in us, we too can have hope. In a world of darkness, isn't it easy for us to lose hope? Like it's easy for us to get down. It's easy for us to allow the weight of the world to fall on our shoulders. I mean, think about it. People let us down all the time. Money comes and money goes. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, and our stuff, well... It fades away. It rots. And the only promise of lasting hope is found in Jesus. His hope never runs out and it never runs dry. So maybe you came here this morning and you're like, man, I'm feeling hopeless. Let me just tell you. Let me tell you about my Jesus who conquered death, who came up out of the grave so that you might have hope. Listen, that first Easter morning, Jesus' friends went to the tomb expecting one thing, only to find something vastly different. They went expecting death and sadness and despair hopelessness. That's what they went expecting. But what they found, <laughs> they found new life. They found hope. They found joy. They found power. They found courage. They found purpose. 
and they found joy. And maybe today, maybe today you came here expecting one thing. But my hope and my prayer for the past few weeks has been this, that you would leave here with something completely different. That maybe you came here expecting to see some friends, sing some songs, hear a message, and just leave the same person as you came. But my hope is that what you expected is vastly different than what you're experiencing right this moment. My hope is that you're leaving here a different person. Maybe you came here thinking the resurrection's nonsense, like, I don't believe the resurrection. Maybe that's how you came here. But maybe you're leaving here in the power, believing in the power of the resurrection. Or maybe you came here feeling completely abandoned by God. I get it. But hopefully you're leaving here knowing that you are loved by God and that there is hope in this hopeless world. Or maybe you came here dead to your sins, but you're leaving here alive in God's forgiveness. You see, church, the thing that we need to know is that the resurrection changed everything. And because the tomb was empty, you can live a meaningful life filled with hope and purpose and forgiveness and freedom and boldness and so much more. Just like the lives of the, those followers of Jesus were transformed, and just like it's been transforming lives for thousands of years, the resurrection can transform your life today too. You don't have to leave here the same way you came. You can leave here different. You don't have to continue to live a life of sadness and despair. You can be transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. The whole reason that Warehouse Church exists is so that we can help ordinary people be transformed into fearless followers of Jesus. Listen to me. Peter, he ran in fear when Jesus died. But after the resurrection, he ran towards danger to tell anyone and everyone about his risen Savior. Jesus and the resurrection can change your life too. So let me just leave you with this one question. How will the resurrection change you? How will the resurrection transform your life? Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for Easter. God, I thank you that we can be reminded that the first followers, the inner circle, that they had their doubts they weren't sure what to believe on that first Resurrection Sunday. But then they had an encounter with you, the living God. And they met you in a room and they believed. 
Lord, the empty tomb changed everything. And Lord, it continues to change people's lives today. And Lord, I'm just praying that there is transforming the lives of people in this room right now. That people that may have come here expecting one thing, that they'll leave here with something vastly different. That they'll leave here with hope. They'll leave here with joy. They'll leave here with forgiveness. They'll leave here with purpose. They'll leave here with joy because your tomb was empty. Father, if there's someone in this room who has never said yes to you, that today, Easter of 2023 would be the day that they would surrender their lives to you. That today would be the day that they would invite you to come and be their Lord and their Savior. That today would be the day that they would confess their sins to you and be transformed and forever changed and be made whole and complete with a hope and a purpose for tomorrow. If that's you, if you're in this room today and you want to invite Jesus into your life, it's so simple. The Bible says that if you will believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. So I just invite you today, if that's you, just tell Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. I know that I am a sinful person. I am messed up. And Lord, I want you to come and make me whole again. Just tell him, Jesus, I came in here hopeless. I came in here sad. I came in here not knowing what I was going to do with my life. But you're going to, would you come and change all of that? And be my Lord and be my Savior so that I can have hope and joy and love once again. Jesus, come. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've been a Christian. Maybe you've been away from the church for a while. or Maybe you just kind of turned your back on God and maybe you're feeling like, you know what? I haven't allowed the resurrection power to fully transform my life. Maybe like Peter, you believe, but then you unbelieved, and now you want to re-believe. Just invite Jesus. Just tell him. Say, Jesus, I'm lost. I've walked away. I've turned my back on you. But, Lord, I want to be restored. I want to be back in your presence. I want to draw near to you. Would you forgive me of my doubts? Would you forgive me of my selfishness? And would you come and restore my life today? you make me new again it's okay for you to do that just invite him to me to make you new again oh thank you Jesus for what you're doing in the lives of people in this room God we could not do any of this without the resurrection in your name we pray amen hey we're gonna celebrate the resurrection with one last song this morning and uh, while we do, I want, to, I want you to know that this altar area is open for you to come and to pray. And maybe you need to come. Maybe you said yes to Jesus today, but you just want to make it real before the cross. You come and kneel and spend time in prayer, inviting Jesus into your life. Or maybe you need to come and just reconnect with Jesus. 
Like maybe you came in here feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders and you're like, I just want to unload and you want to leave it at the cross. And so just come and leave it at the cross and receive his new life once again. Or maybe you just want to come and celebrate. Like maybe you just want to come to the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, that the tomb was empty, that death could not hold you and that the grave was empty. You just come. And if you don't want to come by yourself, grab the people around you. Grab someone around you. Say, hey, we're going to go up here and pray. Just grab them to come with you. Or if you want someone to pray with you, I'm right here on the front row. I'd be honored to pray with you. But you just come. This is uh, our house is your house. And this is your space to spend time in prayer. But let's all stand together and let's worship the Lord. The Lord that brings dead things to life. And let's celebrate with all of our voices.